What's going on, family? Welcome back to another week and another episode of Unscripted, where we bring you conversations from professionals from all walks of life. We touch on the backstory of their lives, their mindset, and how they navigate through adversity and opposition. I'm your host, Akeem Haynes. Before we get into this week's episode and I introduce my special guest, if you would like to support the podcast, there are two ways that you can do so. One, head over to Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review of the podcast, five stars. This small act does a huge favor in moving the podcast and the channel forwards and especially up the charts. The other way that you can do so is by a small donation through PayPal or joining our Patreon. Every single donation that comes our way goes towards better sounding audio, better sounding equipment, so we can continue to provide great quality content for you, our listeners. So I thank you in advance, and I thank each and every single one of you for supporting the podcast each week. So with all that being said, let's introduce my special guest this week. My guest this week is someone who I've known for quite some time. He's always been gracious with his time, with experience. He's always been transparent with me, and he's always been a person who's always willing to help a helping hand whenever and however he can. This week, my guest is Coach Tom Higgins. Coach Tom Higgins predominantly grew up in a football household. His father, Tom Higgins Sr., was the tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. Coach Tom was a standout at Colonia High School in Woodbridge Township, New Jersey. He played nose guard at North Carolina State University. He was an All-American, and he was a starter in four consecutive bowl games. He was also an All-American wrestler at NC State. Now, if you know a little bit about the NCAA system, you would know that that really doesn't happen anymore. A dual sport athlete, you know, is, is, is tough. But after graduating from college in 1976, Coach Higgins attempted to enter the NFL draft, but he wasn't selected. But that didn't stop him. He played three seasons for the Calgary Stampeders. And in 1979, he signed with the Buffalo Bills and played one year in the CFL before returning to the CFL playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. After retiring as a football player, Coach Higgins began coaching at the University of Calgary, winning the 1983 CIS title in the second of his three years as an assistant coach. Two years later, in 1985, Coach Higgins joined the Stampeders coaching staff serving in many different capacities until becoming a head coach himself in 2001. 2001, he became the head coach of the Edmonton Eskimos, leading them to the playoffs in each of his four seasons there. In 2002 and 2003, he won division titles and he won a Grey Cup as a head coach in 2003 with the Eskimos. What's interesting in this whole episode is, you know, it took Coach Higgins 19 years to become a head coach. That says a lot about, you know, him as a person and his love for the game. In 2005, he returned to the Calgary Stampeders as their head coach. He held that position for three years, making the playoffs each time. In 2008 to 2013, he served as a director of officiating. After spending time there, in 2014, Coach Higgins was hired as the Montreal Alouettes head coach, and he helped turn that program around. So, what is Coach Higgins doing now? Well, right now, he is the current defensive coordinator for the University of Alberta Golden Bears. In this episode, we talk about leadership, we talk about what it takes to create a winning culture, we talk about work-life balance, we talk about sacrifices, we talk about the lessons that he learned from his mentors, and we talk about so many other things. This is an episode that I think you'll truly enjoy. So without further ado, enjoy this week's episode with Coach Tom Higgins. Coach Tom Higgins. 
Hey. Oh, perfect. Oh, you can hear me. I, I can hear you very well. And I love the photo behind your right shoulder. Do, do you know the backstory of that uh, uh, photographer? This one, no, no. But tell me, please. Um, fascinating. Because um, the photographer who got that photo got pushed out of the prime spot on the other side. And he, mm. he was actually, I think, somewhat uh, dejected that, you know what, he didn't get the side that all the other big time uh, photographers got. He got on the other side. And he's the one who got the photo that uh, is legendary. Hey, that, you know. that, that photo is all over. Sometimes you just have to be in the right spot. Sometimes you're in the wrong spot and it's the right time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Coach, man, it is a pleasure to have you on today. Um, I know we had a discussion earlier in the week. And as I was getting, you know, kind of ready for this, uh, it made me reflect back to the first conversation that we ever had. Um, it was very brief. It was at, uh, it was at Windsport there at the facility. And uh, you came over. And uh, you said, Akeem, Tom Higgins here. Nice to meet you. We have a lot in common, but I don't have a lot to say right now because you were in the midst of doing so many different things. And so it was just interesting reflecting and seeing on that time. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got a lot going on. And so I want to kind of go backwards before we go forwards. 2020 coaches, we touched about it earlier in this week, you know, it, uh, it's, it's, it's done a lot of different things for different people, right? But for you, how did, how did you handle the uncertainty? How did you handle what was going on around you? How did you stay balanced? And what was one positive that came from it for you? Um, in all my athletic career, I adopted as an athlete and then as a coach and administrator, Control the things you can control. Mm. There's so many things that are outside your control. Yes. People worry about and, and, and lose sleep over. And uh, we, we were all faced. It was uh, one ultimate time where all of us, everyone in this that lives on this earth, had to deal with COVID-19. And um, a lot of people handled it better than others. And the, the people who, who are a little bit more well-balanced, I think, had a better chance. And so uh, I think in, in three different areas, I, I, I grew. I, I always equate any individual. And as I uh, work to develop or coach, or, that we're all like a tripod. We have three different legs that all need to be nurtured. A tripod is a really sturdy um, because there's so many things that use the tripod theory behind it. And so, but, but each one of those legs, I think are the physical, the mental and the spiritual, which mm. every person needs to, to, to be able to uh, understand. And so in, in the world that I've come from in athletics, um, I really do believe on the, in the West, we do a fantastic job with the physical part teaching someone how to run faster, how to, how to catch a football, how to throw it, how to kick, how to do all those things. But I think we, we lack in the mental part. Now, we, we've gained in the mental part because people realize the mental part is as important as the physical part to be able yes, to sir. do things. Um, but where the third area 
And this is one of the things, and I'm, I'm not a preacher, and but I, I live my life being spiritual. I, everybody doesn't necessarily have to be religious, but I believe every one of us is spiritual. And so you still need to work on that part. So in, in these dark days, uh, I had the opportunity to make sure that I worked on all three of those phases. Don't leave any one of them out because, yes. I, you, know, you know, how do you do it physically? If you're, you know, self-contained and do all this, well, you can do push-ups and sit-ups, but I, I'm very fortunate. I had three weights. Um, <laughs> You could also get out. I could get my cardio in. Um, so I was able to take care of physical. Uh, the mental part is, oh, you could start to read. A lot of people got into mm. puzzles. We started puzzling a little bit. I'm, I'm Sudoku, crossword puzzles. Uh, you, you read. Um, but I know also know a lot of people got into television. Netflix all of a sudden became such a big thing. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. Is that how we're occupying our time? We have other ways we can do it. And then the other one is that, you know, could say, well, the spiritual part, well, I wasn't allowed to go to church. Well, yeah. everybody went online and you don't have to go to church to be spiritual, uh, to be religious. And so, um, so for this past little bit of time, um, my wife's name is Sharon and I'll mention Sharon probably a yes. lot of times <laughs> is that, um, we went to bed and there were so many things still left on our to-do list. That we're wow. thinking, you know, people saying they were bored and we're going, hmm, what, what are we missing? <laughs> where, where, where is the bored part uh, come in? And so I know a long answer to a very short question, but, uh, uh, you know, we can grow from there if, you, if you'd like. But um, it, it's been fulfilling. It's been the biggest challenge, though, is I'm a physical person. I miss the hugs. And I miss handshakes. I miss the physical contact. And, and thank goodness. I'm married to a, uh, my best friend, Sharon, and I, I obviously get a lot of hugs, a lot of kisses, <laughs> but uh, it's still missing when I have three grown children and, and they have significant others and we have grandchildren. Um, but the light at the end of the tunnel is coming and it's not a train. Coach, first, take as much time as you want to answer these questions because you, your words are always so profound to me. And, you know, You've always been a person of principle since the day that I met you. And one of the questions that I always wanted to ask you is, you know, where does that come from, right? Because originally from Woodbridge, New Jersey, right? You're, uh, as I was doing a little research, I didn't know that your dad played for the Eagles, right? So what, 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 what was that origin like growing up for you? And what were some of the things that, that your parents instilled in you that, uh, that still spoke volume today for you? I, I grew up in God's country. And some people say God forsaken, but no, New Jersey is a beautiful state. Um, if you fly into Newark Airport, you see the oil refineries. Uh, it's known as the Garden State. And yes, I, I was very fortunate. My, my dad uh, went to university. He, he played at the University of North Carolina. I happened to play at the University of North Carolina State. And so for four years, we didn't like each other. Big rivalry. Um, he was drafted by the Chicago Cardinals. And oh, that's, that's a name you haven't heard of in a while. No, exactly. And, uh, and then played with the Philadelphia Eagles. I grew up in a football environment. And so, um, you know, I remember dad is uh, a football coach. And so I, I grew up in that environment. And when I actually wanted to start playing football, he was hesitant. He, no, he didn't want me to. I guess he wanted to see if I really wanted to play. And so, yes, hmm. I did want to play. 
but I, I'm, I'm one of those kids as well as, uh, you know, whatever the season was, that's what we played. We did football, basketball, baseball. And then, you know, in high school, I did uh, football, wrestling, track and field. You did everything. And then, wow. then, then in university, I actually uh, was a wrestler. I was a heavyweight wrestler. And I also played football and at North Carolina State and had a scholarship. But um, my growing up was, was, it was within athletics itself. My, my dad was uh, two high schools he's only been at. And he, he was there and he's no longer with us. Westside High School in North New Jersey and at the Scataway High School. He won a couple of state championships. But what, what I learned from my father is uh, how to treat people. Yes. Man, he was a tough, hard-nosed coach. And I'm not as tough maybe and as hard-nosed as he was because maybe he's a little more physical and the, the time allowed it. But boy, he cared. Yes. You know, and, and he, he cared so much about the athlete. The athlete knew that if he's being chewed out, it was okay because he cared. And um, I, I grew up, and it, it's really interesting, and we could probably be here for a long time. Um, but I grew up in an environment that he had one athlete on his football team that was white. And hmm. so I, I grew up with with all of these athletes and i i because he always took me which was really neat and i really remember looking at athletes and being able to tell an athlete by the size of their calves and how well defined they were because <laughs> yeah. i mean that's how small i was i mean i couldn't see any any higher because and you know dad would be taping ankles and and whatnot and dad tells a story that um he had uh it, the one white athlete was a tight end on offense and the mother came in to say that my dad was prejudiced hmm. because he plays all black athletes he didn't play her son yeah and um and then then she said well you're not playing him because he's italian <laughs> and he says don't don't tell me that i'm prejudiced my wife's italian i marry an italian yeah. And, you know, it re really what it was about. And so, I mean, I always found that, that interesting. And then um, I, I had the opportunity to then start school and within Woodbridge uh, Township, which you did a good job of <laughs> looking that up. And I, I went into a classroom. And so it was in kindergarten in the first grade that I had to come and ask my dad. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to class with some black students who are they and because black never resonated with me i knew the color black but and then dad sat me down and had to say you know all of the athletes at west side high school they're all black mm -hmm. most of them black some are white but i said they're not black it it's brown is it really and so mm -hmm. um know that that allowed me the opportunity to experience that and 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 yeah. you know coming on up and uh, you know you do get a lot of coaches say they're not racist um in the black life movement um in bipoc black and indigenous people of color yeah and it's interesting how we're all the same <laughs> you know i i it, it, it boggles my mind and so 
having had that opportunity and to grow up into that environment, but also what, what actually fuels you and, and makes you who you are is I, I had some very good high school coaches, yeah. both football, wrestling, and track and field. And, 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 and again, you, you take things from every one of your experiences. And then I had the opportunity to go down to North Carolina State and the head coach, uh, his name was Lou Holtz. Now, uh, Lou Holtz, and people might know him, is because he won a national championship at Notre Dame. Yes. And um, we, we helped him along the way because North Carolina State was his first stop in, for, in four years. We went to four bowl games, four years. And then he went on to New York Jets for a year, Arkansas, Minnesota, and then finally uh, made it to uh, Notre Dame. And we thought he had died and gone to heaven. He told his mom, that's, uh, I already have gone to heaven. I'm at Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, he, he excelled. But the, the experience down there also lent itself to uh, who, you, who you become. Because you're always being molded. You're, you're never, uh, you never arrive. You, you'll hear this, and I, I use this all the time, but it's, it's true in everything we do. Either you get better or you get worse. Nothing ever remains the same. Mm. So today I have a chance to get better. Now, that's been used, though, uh, with me at university, and I, and I took it, but I also use it when I'm coaching athletes. And so even if I have a camp that I'm putting on, you have an opportunity each and every day to make a choice to get better. And so we have a football team, and I've, I've had an opportunity to be a head coach and general manager in the CFL, and same philosophy. If we're going to practice, let's make sure that we go out to get better. A lot of times people go through the motion. So um, where it all comes from, I'm blessed. Parents, family, mentors, which who basically were coaches. That's who I am today, but I still grow. I, mm. I, I still have growing to do. I still have learning to do. I'm going to learn and I'll take something away from having the opportunity to have a conversation with you. And know that there's the lessons are to be learned in every spot. And so, again, you know, I have an opportunity today. Am I going to get better? When I put my head down and, you know, have, I'm grateful for everything that's happened in my life. And um, we live our life only one day at a time. Coach, you said a lot there, man. Um, a lot of really good things. And it's always so interesting, um, you know, growing up, we see things one way, we see things from our parents and mentors, and then that molds and shifts us. But when we get to a certain point and we reflect, we realize, huh, that was a lesson there that we probably could grasp from. When you were in college, you just mentioned Lou Holtz. Um, you spent time um, in, in high school with your dad coaching, but you've also seen him at the elite level as well too. And football in America is a little different than football in Canada, especially in the NCAA season. Um, what made you go to that school? Because I'm sure your dad was like, hey, man, just come over and join this side. And when you were in college, what was that transition like, right? Because student athletes, um, the schedule is, is, is a little bit different everywhere. But how did you balance those times? Very good questions. And the first one, why North Carolina State? I mean, uh, growing up in New Jersey, and I was a, a linebacker, and um, I, I knew I still had, to, you know, to grow. And I, I was a pretty good linebacker. 
Uh, I got recruited by a couple of other ACC schools. I went and saw Wake Forest and went down to Maryland. Uh, Penn State was never came knocking, but it, that's okay. Um, yeah. I went down to North Carolina State, and something great was going to happen there. Hmm. The Lou Holtz had the ability to make you think you could run through a wall. But he also surrounded himself with excellent coaches and he started to create a culture that was a lot different than the other visits that I had. The other mm -hmm. visits, you didn't feel that electricity. And so I, I always wanted to be following my dad's footsteps and I, I always wanted to be uh, a phys ed teacher that if I were just to be in a high school, then I can be in phys ed, which is complements being a, a Athlete, coach. And I yes, would probably coach football, wrestling, track and field as well. And um, it actually didn't have a phys ed program. And Ooh, all the others ones that I actually went to. That's crazy. And, and it is crazy. Why would you do that? And it was real simple. The Lord to be there to know that something great was happening, wanted to be part of. So it, it, it's really, it, I, my undergraduate degree is in vocational industrial education. I'm a school teacher that can open co-op programs that can get the high school athlete or even university that they get some job experience before they make the decision to go to university or they're in university and then you, you can get them some hands-on job training, say, yeah, that's what I want to be. And then you realize that's not what you wanted to be. But I, I had an education degree so that I could teach in the vocational field. Um, so then I started my professional odyssey and I went to the University of Virginia and worked on a master's in adaptive physical education. So I got my degree after the four years One to, way or to be able to, to have that option because again, I, I was uh, like anybody else that goes to major college that uh, I actually ended up being a defensive nose guard. I was an All-American. I was an All-American heavyweight wrestler. I know I don't look that big any longer, but I, I now look like a kicker or a defensive back. Um, but I wanted to be, I wanted to play in the NFL. Uh, and I wanted to play for 10 years. That was just one of the things that I, I set my mind out to, and, I, and that didn't happen. But I, I played for the Buffalo Bills. I played for Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I played for the, the Calgary Stampeders, and um, I have no regrets, none whatsoever. But going there was so critically important. And then another part of the question was, um, you're a student athlete. And again, that was so well stressed down there that I didn't want to go just so I could be a um, professional football player and just take classes that allow me to stay eligible. I, I got my degree in four years without going to summer school. I got my degree with being a, a, a football player and a wrestler. How, how that happens is a whole other story. That, Wait, that, so you did, you did both Yes. At the, at the same time? Yes. Man. Um, how coach that that's that's you're gonna have to come back on some of the questions but in north carolina universities you cannot graduate unless you can swim hmm. so you had to take the phys ed 101 course everybody did 
and you had to be able to swim. Otherwise, you had to take swimming lessons. So it, it, it was just something in the state that to me is, is really critical because yeah. you know what, you, you, can't, you, can't, you don't want to have people that don't know how to swim because there's a possibility at some point in your life, you might be in water and you'd like to be able to swim. So um, the, the first day of Phys Ed 101, uh, the, the gym teacher said, okay, you're going to have to jump in the water, tread water for two minutes, and then you have to do two laps. But he said, before you go in, hold on a second. He went and got the big hook off of this side wall. Yeah. I, I looked at him and I said, why? What are you doing? He goes, watch. Jump in. Sure enough, people couldn't swim. They jumped in. He had to take them out of the water. The, okay. And, and you, you said, really? Somebody would jump into the water? Because they know yeah. that they now have to take the, a swimming course if they, they couldn't. But that, that guy who was the, the instructor was a, a head wrestling coach. Oh, okay. okay. So makes um, sense. So, so, so what happened is uh, a good coach is not going to pass up an opportunity. And so he knew I was a football player. And I, I happened to be on a stationary bike, and I'm not really quite sure what we were doing at that time. But as, as the coach came on by, now I'm starting to be introduced to him. Um, it's uh, Coach Daniels. And he came by and he said, um, have you ever wrestled before? Because now you got to remember, I'm a lot bigger than I was uh, yeah. that you're looking at. And um, I said, oh, yes, I, 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 I wrestled. And he, he left me alone. I kept cycling. He comes back. Were you any good? I said, yes. And he left me alone. He goes, um, came back around. And again, now he's circling. And he's thinking, okay, this is like a vulture, right? Coming back mm. to his prey. Um, what was your record? I think it was uh, 23 and one. I lost one match in a regional final um, in overtime. We tied in overtime. So you, you wrestle a two, 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 three minute periods. And so I'm, I'm wrestling in, in the tournament to go to the state championship. And we tied in regulation. We tied in overtime. And there's two mat officials and the referee, and they stand up who they want. And it was a split decision. They picked the bigger guy. And so the bigger guy I, always wins. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's why I did it. Um, but he said, would you like to wrestle? Mm -hmm. I had never thought about it. And I'm thinking, Ooh, okay, I'm a student first football's the, the priority. And so I, I go to coach and coach Holtz and I, I, I sit down and have a discussion with him. Would you be okay if I wrestled? And he said, Yes, under one condition, your grades don't suffer. Mm. And it's not a problem. I wrestled for four years, lettered for four years, went to the nationals twice. And I, um, in my senior year, I ended up wrestling and winning enough matches that I was considered an All-Canadian in wrestling. And then I was an All-Canadian at nose guard. And so the you know, draft came around. No one wanted me uh, in the NFL. CFL did. And so I ended up going to CFL. So now a, a, a lot has happened in all that question and that, that, that long drawn out answer. Um, but again, I was impacted by 
Coach Daniels as much as I was by Coach Holtz or my position coach because uh, I'm really blessed because the, the mental discipline that it takes to do an individual sport compared to a team sport is a lot different. Yes. You, know, you go out on the mat, it's only you and the other man. No ifs, ands, or buts. Either you're going to win or he wins. But I also have a different philosophy in what, what actually takes to be a winner. And this has stayed with me. And, and even to this day, even with me going up and coach at the University of Alberta, the Golden Bear football team, if you played to the best of your ability or if you wrestled to the best of your ability, you won. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what the score is. doesn't matter what the match is. You can't have done any better. And so that has served me really well. Where that came from, one of the mentors, I, 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 I'm not sure where it came from, but now it's part of the fabric in me. And so any athletes that I've had the opportunity to coach, they hear these things all the time. And I, and I do know that they have come back to me because now they have kids and I get to coach their kids and their kids are uh, having kids. And you're just thinking, oh, it goes on. So, I mean, again, uh, your legacy is that how many people you can influence in a very positive way. And that's one of the real treats that I have. Uh, why I love coaching and yeah. I'm, I'm going to coach until the day they tell me I can't do it any longer. Before we cross over to your coaching aspect of things, coach, uh, 19, 1979, you got to play in the NFL. Um, what was some of the highlight of that year? Because you didn't get drafted, but you got there because 1979, man, as I was doing some research about some of the players going uh, who were playing that year, you have guys like Roger Staubach, you have Walter Payton, uh, Earl Campbell, who I think won MVP that year. Man, these are some these are some names that paved the way for people who we see now. What was that year like for you? And 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 did you like what what was a moment where you said, okay, these guys are for real? <laughs> Here's what's 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 fascinating is. Um, so I was with the Buffalo Bills one year after O.J. Simpson left. So he, huh. he, he was finished up his career and he finished up with the San Francisco 49ers, but he was really known as a, a Buffalo Bill. Yes, absolutely. Um, two of the offensive linemen that uh, blocked for O.J. Simpson was Joe DeLamalure and Reggie McKenzie. I can remember it like it was yesterday. What people would be shocked at is their weight. Reggie McKenzie weighed 265. Joe DeLamalure weighed 270. At that time, we didn't have any 300 pounders, but we had a lot of, a lot of gifted athletes. And you know, at that time too, um, the average salary was almost $80,000. Oh man. The average, the average salary, <laughs> Um, and, and again, the, the players at that time were only making 5% of all revenues generated. And it wasn't until they finally realized that they had to tie the 55% uh, into their salaries of all the money that was being made down south. But really what was um, mind boggling, who was the best player that I had the opportunity to, to see and play against? Obviously, I, I didn't play. I was on the field. But we were playing Chicago Bears. Mm. And if you ever looked up Walter Payton, 
you are going to see so many pictures of him seven foot in the air going over top of defensive players. Sweetness, so right? we, had, we had them. We had them. We were at home. And sure enough, they were on the goal line. And what happened is, again, you gave it to Walter Payton. We had our linebackers coming here, but Walter Payton was going over the top of them because he was just that athletic. He was just that strong. He was just that good. That That's an easy picture, obviously, to be taken. But one of the, the finest players that it, it gifted. And when you get to that level, you're all gifted. Yes. And, you know, they have been there. Um, was a, really a treat. And again, I was hoping to put 10 years in. I was only qualified with four years as a professional football player, but life goes on. I, I, I again, you'll always hear it. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, there's no way that I was going to put all my eggs in one basket of being a professional football player. But at that period of time, if you, if, if you made it to the NFL, you're still probably, you're working afterwards. Absolutely. Nowadays, if yeah. you make it into the NFL, I think the minimum salary is a half a million dollars. So yeah. if you're a restricted free agent, you're a half a million dollars. You don't even have to negotiate. And you're just thinking, man, that's a lot of money. Um, but again, the average life expectancy of a professional football player is under four years. Mm, and yeah. you know, we get to see all the guys that have all this longevity. There are quite a few of them. The Tom yes. Brady's of the world and some receivers and but some offense alignment, defense alignment, running backs, you know, or those guys should get paid more than almost anybody else because you hand them the football and you've got all these guys trying to decapitate you, you know, trying to end your career. And so a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, thank you for asking. And it's, it's fun to actually look back and, and think about, yeah, yeah, you were in the, you were in the show. Yeah. Think, you know what the show is only the show it's like mm -hmm. you know you've, you've been in the olympics you're going is it a big thing yeah every four years people turn on you know what you, they you spend your whole career to get this one opportunity and yes it is a big show but when you get there you go i arrived is this all there is so if yeah. you if you don't understand it's the journey. It's not the destination. It's, it's to enjoy the fact that you're going to work your butt off because I want to make sure that I can make the team and so that I can possibly play and so that I have a chance to go. And so, again, that's uh, just uh, you get all this from my upbringing and the, and the mentors and the people who have had the opportunity to make me who I am. You know, it's funny you say that because I remember you know, getting to uh, when we're about to get the medal at the uh, Olympics. And we were standing on the podium and, you know, everybody's facial expression is a little bit different. But what was going through my mind was the fact of, yes, I was happy in the moment, but I was thinking about all of the people who helped me get to where I was today. Right. My Angela has a quote that says, I come as one, but I stand with 10,000. So I was thinking about every single person who helped me get to this point today, not just on the track, but, you know, to my academic advisors who helped me, you know, finish school, to my high school teachers who would meet me early in the morning to go over certain things. And it's, it's, it's definitely so profound how you said that, because oftentimes it's those small cliche things that actually are the real truth. And so, coach, I want to shift to your coaching career, because as I was looking at some of the stuff, man, um, one, um, 
you retired in 1980. Um, you started coaching in 1982. You became a head coach officially in 2001. So that's 19 years that it took you to get to that point. And I started to think that must have been seasons of patience, um, diligence, uh, consistency, and so many different things. Because I'm sure there were some moments where um, in the positions that you had that you said, man, you know, I would do things a little bit differently. So I want to ask coach, what was that 19 year span like as you were getting ready for an opportunity that you didn't know what, what when was going to come, but you had hope it did. So just walk me through a little bit of that because you are a way more patient man than I was. And I wouldn't be. Well, thank you for that. But you know what? It, it, I wouldn't have been able to tell you how many years it was because mm. I, I'm a very content person. I, my wife and I both um, realized that at some point in time, I said, you know what? That's enough. I, mm. I tried to be a professional football player and you need to be at the right spot at the right time. You need to be good, but you also need to be lucky. And so there's so many things that, that go into it that I, I appreciated and understood. So we came back to Calgary. Um, so what you need to know is that I, when I left North Carolina State, um, the Calgary Stampeders wanted me. Yes. And I had some free agent opportunities in the, in, in the NFL, but it seemed like they wanted me. And, and that's what I needed to know that I could possibly get a chance. But I, I didn't realize when I came up that there was a ratio. And so we had, I think, upward to 15 linebackers in camp. And I think 10 of them were Americans and five were Canadian. And we we're going to keep three Canadians and one American. And I'm thinking, hmm, okay. Um, but I was able to, to beat the odds and, and I, I was able to play. And that's where I met my wife. And uh, four years later, we, we got married. And so she became a, a player's wife and then assistant coach's wife and then assistant GM, then yeah. a, a GM wife, and then head coach GM wife. Um, but during this period of time, I, I'm a very content person, um, driven, um, but I came home. Uh, we came back to Calgary, set Calgary up as home. There's uh, opportunities for my wife and I were both teachers by trade. I got a teaching job before she did, and she was a teacher before we got married. Mm. And so that's one notch that I hold over. Her oh, yeah. That, yeah, I beat you getting a job. Yes, and sir. So, um, yes, sir. <laughs> I was at um, Jack James, a secondary vocational school, which made a lot of sense. Mm. Um, got hired right away, former football player, you know, with the Calgary Stampede. I think all that lent itself to that as a possibility. And I remember going to the principal at Jack James and said, hey, do we have a football team? And he goes, no, we're a vocational high school. I said, oh. Uh, I think I need to have a, you know, of any place where I can coach. And he goes, I know they're looking for a coach at Crescent Heights High School. And hey, so that's my alma mater. <laughs> so I went to, so I went to Crescent Heights and, and, and coached for a year, but then I, I got caught on. Uh, Peter Canellan was the head coach at University of, of Calgary. Um, and then three years, I had the opportunity to still stay as a teacher, but then to uh, go over to university. I'm living my dream. You realize I, the first time that I got a job as a teacher, that's my dream. 
I, I also knew I was going to coach. I started the first wrestling program for Jack James. Vocational secondary high school, well, you know, it's an individual sport. We, all we need is a mat. And we got ourselves a mat and we ran some tournaments and we had some pretty good wrestlers. But then, uh, you know, I had the opportunity that um, I was with the University of Calgary, which again, now, now hey, look at it's a dream. Look at me. Yeah. I'm, I am now moving on up the ranks. Yes. Uh, but still as a, an assistant. And um, the new head coach of the Calgary Stampeders was a coach when I, I finished my professional career with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Ron Lancaster was a head coach, but Steve Barato was an assistant at that time. He yes. became the head coach in Calgary. So now all of a sudden there's an end. So I worked for uh, Coach Barato for a whole summer before I went back to university. And my, my whole goal on this one is work so hard that he misses me when I leave. That's good. That's and, good. And it, and, and it sure was because I was offered a job. And so now I get to spend nine years with the Calgary Stampeders. And you're, I'm realizing, boy, this is pretty good that I can hang on to my job because mm. I, I coached linebackers. I coached the secondary. I made sure I cleaned the bathrooms and I knew where the keys were because there were five different head coaches over that short period of time that I was there. And the one last time that um, before I left Calgary is I hired, had the opportunity to hire Wally Buono as a defensive oh, line really? coach. I was a linebacker coach. Wow. And so yeah. we coached together. And then yeah. all of a sudden there was an opening and they were going to hire from within. And it was Wally and I that were competing against one another for the head coaching job. They selected Wally. So now I became the assistant head coach, which was really nice uh, because there's a lot of things that I could do. And again, I did it knowing that there's an ultimate goal in mind. Um, if you coach special teams, you're coaching all of the players except some of the offensive linemen and the quarterbacks. So I thought that being the special teams coordinator was really good for me to know when I possibly get that opportunity. And so now Wally's having a lot of success. We're having a lot of success. 1991, we went to the Grey Cup. We lost. Uh, 1992, we won the Grey Cup against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 1993 was the best year, maybe the best football team the Calgary Stampeders ever had. We lost to the Edmonton Eskimos in the Western Finals because it was minus 40 degrees. Oh. Doug doesn't work very well with his small hands. Uh, he froze up. It, they, they did what they had to do. Um, we lost in 93. The next week, the game was in Calgary, and there was a Chinook that came in. Edmonton <laughs> played the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and won. And so now all of a sudden, uh, there were, you know, inkling that um, I was in line because I, I, I served really well for nine years. I actually had an interview with uh, Hugh Campbell, about getting the head coaching job, but he gave it to Ron Lancaster, which was fine. Um, all of a sudden, I get a call from Hugh Campbell, who's the general manager. He was a football, uh, you know, head football coach there, won five Grey Cups in a row. And um, he knew me because we, he interviewed me for the head coaching job. He had an assistant GM job open up. And he called me and said, would you like to, to come up to Edmonton. 
And at that time, the Edmonton Eskimos, EE, was the evil empire, the two letters. Yeah. And it's just because they were always in the playoffs. They were always so very good. Um, the one of the things that I was smart enough to realize, Wally wasn't leaving. So we left. We had three young children, uh, Sharon and I. Uh, interesting story before we left, when we told our children that we're going to go to Edmonton and coach, it would be the G, assistant GM for the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, our son is our youngest and said, dad, we can't go to Edmonton. We hate the Edmonton Eskimos. Mm, he was invested. He was invested. The answer was not anymore. You know, uh, so we, we went up and ended up spending 11 football seasons. But I went up there and helped Ron Lancaster. You know, we had continue to have success. Uh, we had other coaches. Again, I'm doing my job. And, and again, time's irrelevant. But, you know, something's going to eventually the door is going to I'll knock and the door will get open. Um, we had Don Matthews, who was really struggling for whatever reason. And the coaches were struggling. And this is in training camp. And I had to talk with Hugh Campbell a, a lot that the coaches, the assistant coaches are really struggling under uh, Don for whatever reason. Um, you know, he's had a lot of success. But right now, the coaches aren't happy. They're almost ready to boycott, wow. you, you know, whether they're going to even coach or not. And so a tough decision had to be made. Hugh Campbell let Don Matthews go. And um, in training camp, training camp. <laughs> so you got to understand, we're already Whoa. set. You know? yeah. And so it, we, we had a discussion. Hugh Campbell and I were sitting down in the room together. And he goes, well, I guess I've already coached. I guess it's your turn. And so, I mean, I always thought, you know, okay, we're going to have, when I get the opportunity to be the head coach, I'm hoping that all of my family members would be there. My wife would be there. We'd have balloons and celebration. <laughs> the press conference was, um, Hugh Campbell and I were sitting at the table. We're talking that, you know, we let Don Matthews go. And again, he wasn't going to give out any kind of additional information, but had to go. Players were there. They're crying. And, and by the way, Tom's your head coach. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like not what I had in mind, but uh, that gave me my 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 first opportunity. And so, time flies when you're having fun. Um, mm. Sharon said for me not to use this anymore. Um, I would do this for free, and she said, "Don't tell anybody because they will probably say, okay, you can do it for free. You do need you do need to take home some money so you can pay the mortgage and put some food on the table." Um, but that, that was never the case because I, I always found the challenge. I always found the, the positivity and I always found the, the, the strength to it. And so then, no, after 11 football seasons in, in Edmonton, four years as a GM and head coach, we went to, um, we finished in first three times, second once, two great cup appearances, won a great cup and was a coach of the year. And they, they let me go. I call it, I say because of illness and fatigue, they got sick and tired of me. And so, you know, you only have a certain shelf life and then you move on. And then I came down to Calgary, but I, I just want you to know, we're talking about 19 years. It flew by. It was, wow. 
It was amazing because I, I feel sorry for people who are not happy in what they're doing. Then you're working for a living. I, I never, I never worked a day in my life. Mm. And so when people say, you know, are you retired? I said, no, I can't retire because I've never worked. And they, they look at mm. me strange and they go, you don't know me very well. I, 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 if you, you know, if you, when you get a chance to know me, you realize, yeah, you are crazy, like people say, but I understand what you're saying. You know, yes. do what you love. And, and, I, and I have. And I loved every bit. And, and it was all part of the journey. And the, the beautiful thing that the journey is not over. Oh, absolutely not. There's still more to go. And, oh, yes, exactly. And, and to, to be back out on the field. And again, the, the pandemic has caused uh, the opportunity that I was given last year to coach the University of Alberta Golden Bears. I coached them, but we never had any football games. So yeah. it's, it's nice to practice and, and to do all the little things. Uh, but you, you're rewarded by being able to go on out and, you know, challenge another team. So hopefully that's going to happen this year. And I, I really do believe that uh, that's in the horizon because where we're at right now in the time that we are in Canada and the United States with us catching up to the vaccines and numbers going down, that there will be a football season. Coach, last, last couple of questions here. Um, the scripture says, too much is given, much is required. 2003, you won the Grey Cup and you had various stints as a head coach. But we all know that that does not come without its ups and downs. I want to ask, Coach, and this is a loaded question. What are some intangible things that it takes to be a good leader? One, also, how do you get a team to come together? There's so many different personalities, right? You have Americans coming up, Canadians coming up. Uh, you know, people from overseas, there's so many different people, and you're trying to get a team to mesh together for one common goal. But that's not easy to do, right? So how did you do that? And how did you find balance, right? Because, you know, <laughs> you're coaching here, Sharon says, hey, we, I need you to be home at this time, right? How do you, how do you handle the, those intangible things as a head coach? Um, okay, first, it, it's a couple of questions in there. Um, as a, as even at, on the university level, you get the opportunity to start helping mold an athlete because it, they're still mold, very moldable from high school to university. And so you want to create a culture. And one of the reasons, again, to go from Calgary to Edmonton is what was it? What do they have that was different that made them truly unique? And, and really what it was, was just the fact that um, when an athlete comes into the organization, when they leave, they're going to be a better person for having been part of the organization because of the culture that's created, the, the mindset that it's about giving back. The mindset is about leave your ego at the door. It's more important about your teammate to help them rise to be better. And so when you get and create that kind of culture, you have yourself a chance to be successful. Now, again, success sometimes in, in, in the world, it's based on wins and losses of, you know, on, on the scoreboard. 
not not necessarily in your heart and doing what we talked about that you know if you do your best then you know you're a winner yeah. um so it, it really the, the culture comes on in now as a in a professional organization you get to pick and choose who you have on your team and who you don't have on your team and so it's, it's very important that in the selection process whether you're drafting or whether you're signing an American to come on up, what makes them tick? They could be the best football player, but they don't fit the criteria of what we want as far as a citizen's concerned. Are they willing to give back to the community? Um, the number of hours that the football players give in the CFL, but in Edmonton at that point in time was ridiculous. And in a good way they realize how fortunate they are one of the things that i really love about um, professional football players but pretty much the cfl football player is they're grounded they, they, there is no multi-million dollar contracts that these men know that uh you know what for for whatever reason it, it's the that mentality is very important but then again uh, you're still working to make sure that um, there, there's so many things you can take a, a flyer on it, single athlete, because yeah. your team is made up of 50 odd players or more yeah. that, you know what, here's what happens is usually the athlete will fall in line, but you still have an opportunity to help grow that athlete. Yeah. And, and, and some people would not agree with me. No, no. You, you when the athlete comes to, a professional organization, they're already set in their ways. I don't believe that for a moment. I truly believe that they can still be molded and moved in a direction. And if, if you can't, then your association with them is not going to be there that long. And again, it's still always a very short period of time because it's very difficult to have a real long career because you can only imagine now in 11 football seasons that I had in Edmonton, there's a lot of athletes. I, I was actually down in Las Vegas and there was a, a, a big athlete, looking athlete that came by me. And he said, Coach Higgins. And the first thing he said, you cut me. <laughs> and I, I said, oh, well, it's good to see you too. And, and, and yeah. uh, you know, that's an occupational challenge that you have, that the moment that you come to a professional organization, you're not guaranteed anything. You know, you have to work and then you make some decisions. And to think that only one person uh, let someone go, yes, I might have been the one who told them, but we as an organization decided that, you know what, it's time that we had to move on. And a lot of times you move on for so many different reasons. It can be yeah. the fact that, you know, you've been here for so long. Now you're making this amount of money. We got somebody who's coming in that's younger, that's going to make a lot less money, but it can play at the same level that you're playing. So that's when you start making changes. But, uh, you know, athletes find it very difficult um, to see that. They only see themselves. They don't see a, a full picture. And, you know, there's different reactions that happen when you let an athlete go. And so I'll tell you just another little story, and it's a side story that um, comes with this, is that um, I'm a GM and head coach of the Calgary Stampeders after 11 football seasons in, yeah. in Edmonton. And Sharon happened to be in the office, my office, uh, where 
Um, you know, usually there's a little boardroom table because we have meetings and the, the coaching staff can come on in. So it's a it's a bigger it's a big usually the biggest office in, in the area, which makes sense because you're bringing athletes in and you're sitting them down and you're telling them that they can no longer be a Calgary Stampeder. And so my my wife just asked a question. He goes, well, what's the reaction of some of the athletes? And I said, well. I was cut six times as a professional athlete. I think I had a lot of experience at it. And yes. I can tell you the right ways and the wrong ways. And the right way is just to be honest with a, a young man and tell him directly. Um, you know, we brought you up thinking that, you know what, you'd be, if this just is not the right fit for you. You know what, we, can, we don't have a spot for you. You know, we appreciate your effort. I thank you for that. Is there something that I can do? You know, some of them might break down and start crying. And she goes, well, what do you do? And so I had a roll of a toilet paper. It's just hidden behind, I think, uh, uh, a photo that I had. And I would hand it to her. She was appalled. How can you hand them toilet paper? That's insult. And so she was offended that I had. And so uh, the next day I had a box of Kleenex. Kleenex, yes. And I go... I'm not sure that they care whether it's Kleenex or toilet paper to wipe their eyes, right? Yeah. And, and, and so that happens. But balance. Balance. You asked about balance. Um, thank goodness uh, Sharon had the opportunity to be on both sides to understand. Um, if you asked our three grown children who raised them, their mother did. In football season, it's all time-consuming. I am blessed to have such a great wife that she knew the priorities. But with all that being said, um, we made the best out of most situations. So uh, I first go up to, to Edmonton, I'm the assistant GM. And when the NFL starts their training camps, we're about halfway through. And uh, I was also helping run Commonwealth Stadium. That was one of my responsibilities as well as bringing athletes in. So I went to NFL training camps. So I was away for two weeks. I came back and flew for a home game and then went back on out. And so, I mean, I was away from the family in the summer for over um, four weeks and then in the summer vacation. So creatively and, you know, Hugh Campbell is all about family as well. I said, you know what, instead of flying, would you allow me the opportunity to drive? He said, what do you have in mind? I said, I want to take my family. Mm. So yeah. we ended up having family vacations. They think they were vacationing. I was working. We were driving to uh, yeah. Wisconsin. It was known as the Cheese Lake. They have all these uh, teams that play there so you can get to see three different four different um, NFL teams. I fly into New York City and you have the, the Jets and Giants and uh, you have the Eagles and you also have the Green, uh, you have the, the Patriots. And so our kids now, to create a balance, their summer vacation was being in a van and driving to Wisconsin or the East Coast. And um, we had a, a great time at it. They, you know, each, each place that we stopped would have a swimming pool and they entertained themselves and we, we, we made it work. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm blessed in that respect. Uh, in this profession, 
the divorce rate is very high because you're not any in any one place for a long period of time. Yeah. And so um, know that my time with the Calgary Stampeders was a very short period of time. I turned over the reins to John Huffnagel, who's still there today. And I'm very proud of the fact that when I left the Edmonton Eskimos, the next year they won the Grey Cup. When I left the Calgary Stampeders the next year, they won the Grey Cup. And what I like to think is I had a little bit to play in that, that the shells were full. Hmm. And so for me, yes. I'm very proud of that. And so now we came back to Calgary. Um, our two girls graduated from the University of Alberta. Our son started the University of Alberta, then went to the University of Calgary. We came back to, and so know that now they're, if you get in the time period, they're now at the time where they're graduated university, finishing up university. We're now living in back in Calgary and uh, three years with the Stampeders and I'm no longer employed. And Sharon had this vision that, um, you know, she'll be able to be an empty nester, you know, over a three period year period of time, maybe four, one leaves, and then, you know, you have two and it, you get an opportunity to, you know, get back into the field only having two children, grown children. And then, yeah. then another one leaves. And um, what happened was um, the legal office called <laughs> and they uh, asked if I would be the director of officiating. Yes. And to be director of officiating, they wanted me to be in Toronto. And so uh, we had a family meeting. So now you, you understand my son, he's, he's, he's sharp. Yeah. Um, we said, well, what do you guys think? Uh, son said, uh, dad, I don't see any other job offers. <laughs> You're going. It, 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 wow. that, that's how it, the decision wow. was made that, you know, okay, we're going to go. So we became empty nesters within a matter of weeks because wow. we went, we went to, to Toronto. And again, um, my attitude was, okay, new adventure. Now for Sharon and I, and it, it really did become an adventure. And so I did that for six years. And, and uh, I, again, but the balance is created because again, um, mental, physical, and spiritual. We all had the opportunity to go to church together, that we understood that these are the things that dad sacrifices, but on the other side, um, I had the opportunity to coach um, my son in football and wrestling, taught my daughters, coach my daughters in basketball. Um, I, I was able to, you know, put things aside and create that balance. And, uh, you know, that has, has served us very well uh, to this day. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think you do a good job of that because that's one of the things that just from a young age for me, I've always said, you know, I, I, I want to, when you're pursuing this elite level, especially when you're at an elite level, there is a certain sacrifice and a price that you have to pay. And if you want to get to a certain level, you have to pay full price. You can't pay half price. It just doesn't work like that. And so for me, I've always tried my best to make sure that I give enough, but I do my best not to neglect. And so it's always that big, uh, that big shift of, you know, for me, even when I think I'm doing well, I'm always like, am I handling it well? And I'm just like, I don't know until I really get out of it. But I think that's just one of the questions that 
that I always like to ask people because it's tough, right? It's not an easy thing, not an easy thing to do. Um, but also before we get into these last fun five questions, when your son said, hey, you, we have, you don't have any other option there to go, you know, but the family meeting aspect of it, uh, coach, man, I think that's such a beautiful thing because this has been such a big part of your life and they know that, right? And I think just from my perspective of it, that's a huge sign of respect that they have for you, right? For them to not even think twice and say, no, you're, you're going, right? I think, I think that right there is a testament to that balance right there. Um, last one, five, coach, shouldn't be too hard, shouldn't be too taxing, it should be pretty easy. <laughs> Question one, if you were trapped on a deserted island for a week, you could only bring three things, what would those three things be? Well, I bring my wife with me and you know what? Uh, so that's, uh, we, so that way we can stay in shape together and we can, uh, you know, you have to bring enough food and then water. And so it, 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 it's so boring and but practical. And so we can enjoy ourselves. Question two, um, you, you have a coffee gathering you can have five people past or present who is sitting at the table and you're having a conversation with five people not including yourself okay so can um i don't drink coffee so it's can, can it be tea tea so absolutely be tea, tea, tea or water coffee. lemonade sweet tea is. um <laughs> I, I i think you know um dad has to come on back and so um you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, and it's really important, and I have to, to, to share this, is that um, Lou Holtz, um, we went to four bowl games in four years. Lou Holtz, uh, we would go home for Christmas, and it would only be for a couple of days, because then we had to be back on campus to go to play in the yeah. bowl game. Uh, he got us all together as a full team, and he says, hey, I got the best gift that you can give your parents, and it didn't cost you a penny. He Ooh, said, go, go, home and, go home and tell them that you love them. Wow. And I knew I came from a loving family, but we, we never used that word. But that Christmas, I used the word, I loved you. I wow. love you, mom. I love you, dad. And wow. so every time that we came and left each other, I had the opportunity to say that. And I, I'll share it with athletes at the appropriate time, uh, because you don't realize how much you love your um, your mom or dad love you until you have children of your own. You'll give your own life for your own children. And so that, that happened. And so I would like to again have the opportunity to say I love you. Mm. But know that there's no regrets there because there was never a time when I didn't have that chance to say. So mom gets to be there. And I think I'm going to have to have my, a football and wrestling coach from university uh, Coach Daniels and then Coach Holtz. Uh, they both need to be there. Uh, so I'm at three. Um, I, my defensive line coach was the meanest, nastiest guy you could ever imagine. Uh, he, he has to be at the table. And then I, I think what I would do is I'd have one player that um, I played with at university. He needs to jump in because he was he'd be the life of the party. He'd keep things moving. And that would be Dan Meyer. So th th those are my guys uh, right off the top. And um, but in a very sports oriented, if you give me a whole nother five from another field, I, I can go there w w without a problem. But 
I, I, I know these are supposed to be quick, but I had to tell you the story. Oh, that was a great the, story. The, no, that's, that's, that's very, coach that's very powerful coach. Uh, question three, you know, you've, you've had a long stint coaching and you're still coaching at university of Alberta. You know, if, if, if there was one advice that you would give to an up and coming coach who wants to, you know, be at the level where you're at, you know, coaching at the CFL, um, they got, you know, ability to go to the great cup and learning under all these great people. Um, what is one advice that you would give to them that is a word of encouragement for them on their journey? The, the first thing that any coach has to do is be themselves. Because one of the biggest challenges that they, they've had so many different examples of, of, of coaches that they want to try to be like, but you, ha you have to be yourself. And then put the work in and be patient. I, I know that's, a, that's mm -hmm. a bunch of things, but they're, they're all blend together. Because if, if, you, if you do the work and you're patient and you are yourself, the sky's the limit if you're willing to, to, to do what's necessary. Great. Um, question four, what is one thing that you have to do for yourself every day? Have a conversation with myself. Um, this is the first day of the rest of my life. This is the beginning of a new day and God has given me days this day to use as I will. And what I do today is important because I'm exchanging the day of my life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever, leaving in its place that which I've traded. I want to be gain, not loss, good, not evil, success, not failure, in order I shall not regret the price that I paid for it. This future is just a whole string of nails. I will try just for today because you never fail until you stop trying. Choices, not chance, determines destiny. Time with myself and saying that each and every day because uh, today's a, a new day. I'm going to have to re-listen to this and, and make sure I get all that word for word. That was, that's, wow, that's powerful. Last question, Coach. Um, you know, you've shared with me some stories that I've never heard of before uh, from you. And so it was very nice to hear, but also the journey that got you where you are. Um, everything that you've been able to accomplish, Coach, everything that you had to overcome, everything you had to sacrifice, um, the patience that it took to, you know, to become a coach and to become a head coach and to win a great cup in this journey of things. If there was one word to describe you, what would that one word be and why? Honest. I like to think that um, I would be honest with you, but I'm honest with myself. And mm. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll leave it at that. Coach, it's been a pleasure. And, you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, we were talking about uh, the, the pandemic and the kids and, you know, you, you know, not always being able to see their face. Well, I'm hoping that, you know, this episode brings them the full package to get to know you, you know, the person that they see. Um, and when the games start, you know, it'll maybe bring them a little bit closer because I'm sure that they don't know that, uh, that you've been to the level where they aspire to be, you know, and sometimes, sometimes, sometimes in a place of comfortability, um, we often don't know who's in the room, but if we remember who's in the room, we can say, you know what, they have a story too. And you'd be surprised what would happen if people just asked the right questions. <laughs> we, we, we need to converse with one another. And like you opened up, we have a lot in common. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Coach, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Yeah.